I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello. Sorry, I have lost my voice a little bit as I record this. And I was also thinking I wish I had a word that I could use for you guys that listen because I know that other podcasts do. And honestly, my first thought was, adulterers now I know that I'm supposed to be fairly okay with the English language having done an English literature degree but I was like oh adulterers that's good um but actually I've realized that that would be terrible so if you can think of anything that's slightly better than that maybe um adults but I think there's the there's a query on that so and also it just doesn't have a cool ring to it maybe I'm not that cool maybe I just scrap this bit anyway in today's episode I speak to MP Jess Phillips. I actually was quite excited about this because I know that she can be quite controversial and post me saying that I'm speaking to her on the podcast, a few people have said that they don't agree with some of the things that she supports. And so I apologise if um, there are things that you maybe disagree with her on. But within our conversation that we have, I actually found it really empowering and really useful. And I do think that she is a force for good within our government at the minute. I had to go to Port Cullis House to record it and I think I got a bit overexcited because during the interview I do think I sound quite fangirly. So apologies in advance for that and apologies for my awfully sore throat. I have no idea where this has come from. Anyway, I really do hope that you enjoy the episode and let me know what you think as always afterwards. Happy listening. Bye. Hi guys and welcome to Adulting. This week I'm joined by Jess Phillips. Hello. So Jess Phillips is an MP. She's previously worked at uh, Women's Aid and you're also now fast becoming one of my favourite Twitter users. (laughs) (laughs) Although I've been told off this week because of Game of Thrones spoilers. Although they were not spoilers, they were just like wild guesses about what was going to happen. Oh, see I'm actually one of these people. I've never watched Game of Thrones. It is annoying me now because I think if I ever am going to watch it, I can't because I know too much. You know too much. Much. Too much. But I think that would make it more stress-free. It's quite stressful right. watching it. Well, that's why I haven't watched it, because I started a bit and then I couldn't remember everyone's names. And when I went back to it, I just thought, oh, I cannot Ooh. be bothered. I've given this eight years of my life. I still don't remember everybody's <laughs> names. I'm always like, you know, that one. The, that that's one the who thing. did that one yeah. in that battle. There's so much to catch up on. I'd actually have to be... I think it's quite good, though, because if I do break my leg again or something, I've got something to do yes, in that time. Yes, yeah. Which is great. Um, so apart from Game of Thrones, you often are found to talking about kind of women's, oh, I don't want to say women's focus issues, but they are. Um, and, women's rights, yeah. Yeah, women's rights. And how did you, obviously you had a background in women's aid, but how did you actually get into being in politics? Uh, I mean, I've always been, I come from a really political family, so I've always been politically active my whole life. Um, when I was a kid, you know, the campaigns would be run from our garage and I was making leaflets on a Gestetner duplicator, which for a younger audience... <laughs> is like a hand-cranked... Uh, I was making me sound like I'm 100 million years old. A hand-cranked duplicator that you had to print something onto and then you would just, like, crank it and it would spit out loads of um, of copies of really, really bad leaflets. There was no 
There's no art on these leaves, it's just words. Where were you putting them? Were you just handing them out to strangers in the street? No, no, we were making thousands of them oh, and wow. giving them out and delivering them to people's <gasps> houses. And we used to make all the posters that would go up at um, election time, so we'd sit with pasting tables and vote Labour, vote Labour. There isn't a surface in my parents' house that doesn't have, like... It's like a history of vote Labour stickers. Oh, my God. Uh, so you could see, like, you know, the progress progression through the, the different design of the Labour Party um, in, in sticker form, like, from, like, the 60s <laughs> to the current day uh they went red and white for a period i was against that um but um so my parents were they never held any political office um or even were um sort of have had roles within our local labor party they're just campaigning activists and um and as well as that they often would campaign on really specific issues. So when right. we were kids, we were taken along to lots of issue-based campaigning. And my mum was um, a very active member of the sort of 1980s women's movement. Wow. Um, and so the playgroup that I went to was called the Women's Liberation Playgroup. And it was set up by a group of women because childcare wasn't a thing then. It was set up by a group of women who would uh, like take it in turns yeah. to look after the kids in, in a church hall. Uh, I remember the toast and the oranges as if it was yesterday. Um, and uh, while they, they worked part time and they would all do sort of a shift of uh, Women's Liberation Playgroup. Um, and so, and we, we, we were active at Greenham Common. We would make signs for ban the bomb signs, uh, lots of stuff around local issues. My mum, um, when I was tiny, she was helping take a big legal action against a pharmaceutical company that wow. they won. So I've grown. I was I was brought up in a, you know, don't get you know cross organised. That I was taught that you should. Never let anything go without fighting back. It's amazing that you obviously brought up in such a feminist household as well, because for me, I came to feminism fairly late. And even though my mum, I think, has feminist ideas, she was definitely a product of a very old-fashioned patriarchal marriage and Catholic upbringing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my generation of girls, we actually only really got to feminism and understanding our own rights and our own why the patriarch and so many things actually aren't useful and this systemic injustice how how much it permeates yeah. everywhere only like when I was at uni whereas what you obviously oh, yeah, grew was, up with it I mean not even just from my mum um who was a feminist and my dad was very is and remains today to uh, be a very strident feminist but my family uh, the the rung above uh, my mum and dad because of the nature of the war and what it had done to all the men mm. in my family there was basically no men left and so there's a very matriarchal stream Amazing. to my family so my granny my grandma Peggy I mean the woman voted for Thatcher she wouldn't be describing herself as like a left wing feminist any day soon but there was a definite matriarchy yeah. uh, in my family where she and my her mum who um, was like 90 when I was little but was still going um, they ruled like wow. with an iron fist um, they you know proper matriarchs who were the heads of our family um, so, but I mean, it's not to say that there, there wasn't patriarchal elements to it. I mean, my mum gave up work for years and years and years yeah. to look after the kids while my dad went to work. Uh, by the time she had me, I was her fourth child. It was obviously the straw that broke the camel's back. So I'm going back to work, <laughs> or I'm just going to work because you know she's been having babies since she was 21. Yeah, and and you know, there, there's all 
there's all sorts of elements of patriarchy in my childhood, but we were always basically taught to identify it and to try and change Question it. Question it. Mm. So how do you feel like when you come up against, when you're in these situations where you are the only woman in the room, and I've read so many transcripts of the way you speak, and I I mean, I find it hard when I'm one-on-one with a guy who just keeps battering back against my opinions. I do not know how you sit there and come up with the things that you say and not feel like I just can't be bothered. I mean, again, I think that that is a product of my childhood uh, because whilst I am a very strident feminist, um, and grew up in this feminist environment. I have three older brothers. Right. <laughs> and um, and we always had uh, different people coming to live with us when we were kids. My gra- my grandfather lived with us. So it was me and my mum in a house with five permanent men. Right. But also, <laughs> because uh, of the nature of the my parents' sort of socialism, there was always people staying with us. Mm. So there's basically like 10 people for dinner in my house every single night. And... You know, if you if, if you didn't fight to be heard, you, you, you probably weren't getting any dinner. Um, so I have I, I was brought up when we would all talk about politics and um, literally anything you can imagine under the sun. We would sit down and eat dinner together every day with all these people with wild and varied opinions mm. in actual fact. And it taught me the art of just keeping going. And, you know, it's a very brummy thing, um, is that the way you show love to somebody is to basically mercilessly take the piss out of them. Yeah. And so I um, I can't, I, I find it much harder when people are being really, really kind to me and agreeing with me wholeheartedly. Oh, sorry, I'll be doing that. <laughs> I, find, I, I find like I don't know where to go with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, I, when I'm faced with challenge, which I was faced with literally every single day of my life, I can very easily rise to that. You're like the per- you're literally brought up in the perfect environment. I know, like a crucible. But I think that round table, that dinner table conversation about politics is really important because I think we hear the word politics and immediately loads of people disengage because you mm. think, I don't know what that is. But everything is political in its own right. Oh, absolutely. And when I say we talked about politics, we do, we weren't, you know, obviously it was the 80s, Margaret Thatcher got some quite a drubbing every yeah. day. Um, <laughs> but so there was some talk of mainstream politics. But it was, it's, it's like the, the art of ideas, mm. the art of conversation. We would talk about what now I can see as philosophy, but yeah. I would never have thought of it in those terms then. It would be talking about things that were unfair or things that had happened throughout the day and why, even just like the way that the roads get dug yeah. up and everything is politics and everything that everybody talks about. People are innately political mm. and the things that they think... I think that people don't have anywhere, don't give themselves enough permission to think that their lives is politics because politics has been made to seem lofty and grand. Yeah, well, I think that's where you're amazing at bringing it back and creating a focus where people can understand it. Because I completely agree. I didn't even realise conversations we have about like health and wellness are actually so politicised, all the different facets that go into those issues. And afterwards you realise, actually, I, I do know what I'm talking about, but so often it is these white middle-aged men who use language that people can't understand or mm. act so exclusively that people don't really feel like that space is for them or that they can even get a foot in the door. Oh, yeah. Exclusionary language is, like, trained into people from, especially people with power and privilege, mm. from a very, very early age, is that you there is a language and people use a different language. So even just by virtue of coming from Birmingham or growing up in a very diverse community, yeah. the language I use to get myself across what some people and and what often happens in discourse about class certainly is that I'm saying as my language even if I say it in a completely temp- tempered manner 
I will be seen as being aggressive and mm. angry. And so the language of one part of society is always sort of caustic. You know, if you ever hear, um, if you ever hear somebody speaking in a different language, um, whether that's Urdu or Polish, it can sound because you don't know what's being said. You don't know what yeah. the content. It can sound aggressive. Yeah. And so one part of polite society has all these flowery words of get, talking around a point. And so when people are just straight to the point, people can be affronted by that. Yeah. And so in those flowery conversations, people are just like, what are you all blinking talking about? Yeah. They can feel excluded. And so people tend to flock together with the people who talk like them and sound like them. And then the system never breaks. And it's the same with gender gangs. As a woman, I get this all the time. But if I get impassioned about, about something or start speaking a bit loud, they're like, oh, you don't, it's okay. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God. Oh, no. People do so it enraging. to keep on yeah. winding you up. Yeah. No one ever says men are hysterical. No, I know. And if they shout, you think, oh, Beautifully passionate yeah. man, isn't it nice? Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> so is. So horrible. Look at him, he's got so much passion. And they're like, oh, look at her whinging on again. Oh, right. People can so easily roll their eyes. But people have been given a script mm. and everybody has it. I say it's, you know, we should all be aware of our own unconscious biases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because we have been given a script from birth about the way that we should feel if a man is crying or if a woman is crying and how we should feel about if a woman is being assertive and a man yeah. is being assertive. And it is, and then when you get to thinking, I mean, the amount of stuff that gets said about black women being aggressive, mm. that if a, a, a black woman just, just makes a perfectly salient point, people will be like, well, her approach is very aggressive. Yeah. And it is just like, no, it isn't very aggressive. It's just ingrained prejudice. I mean, one part of doing this podcast, the biggest learning is like, Oh, and I can't out on my privilege for so long. White, cisgendered, middle class, heterosexual, um, able-bodied, neurotypical. Um, <laughs> like, it goes on forever. Yeah. And that's what I've had to unlearn so many things. But it still falls flat on its head when I recognise that I am a woman and there's still so many parts that that impacts. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think listening and having you as a voice. Also, really, I love that you swear. <laughs> I love that you're quite like fallible because I feel like we're all so angry because you've got a lot to fight for. Whereas the men can be quite chill about it because it's like, well, we've set up this little utopia for us and it's all the way that we want it. Yeah. And you do have to kind of come in a bit guns blazing. Yeah, yeah the swearing thing is, uh, it, divide, it divides opinion. Quite a lot of people say to me, I think people would take you more seriously if you didn't swear. But it, in fact, I, I mean, a lot of the time I'm just losing my rag and so yeah. I'll effing blind. Um, but in fact, I actually use swearing as a um, technique when I'm with my constituents to get them to feel mm. relaxed around mm. me. So if even, you know, sort of mild-mannered older women who come in and they've got, like, a real problem with their neighbour or, this, you know, the, the pension's not been right or something. Um, and, I, you know, you know how much it makes their shoulders drop that, that it's OK that they're with me if I yeah. say, I hope you don't mind if I say this, but these people are bastards. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yes. <laughs> like, you know, it immediately puts you yeah. on a level with somebody um, where you can feel that they feel you're yeah. in a different position to them. And I want people to feel like they're on the same level as me at all times, and I think swearing is one of the ways. Because, yeah. I mean, I've met, like, three people in my entire life who've never sworn. Yeah. Oh, my God, I, didn't, I swear all the time. <laughs> my mum hates it. 
Um, but yeah, that level of empathy, I think is something we don't always see in politics. And it's so true because normally what happens is you see politicians like putting up a wall and trying to separate you, or they either try to make you punch down so you're not really focusing on what they're doing, mm. but they never really level the playing ground. So I love the fact that that's what part of your thought process is with it. Um, and what I want to talk about now, which has obviously just happened and it's, if we can talk about it, is the fact that the only thing, well, not the only problem, one of the myriad problems is that you're actually, by speaking out, you're literally putting yourself in danger mm -hmm. and facing, part of my job I do online, like on Instagram, and I swear I get more rigmarole than some of these male MPs do, or people, for some of the stuff they say. I get called up more for not saying like quite the right feminist thing than a man will for making a rape threat. Oh, and I yeah. don't understand. That's definitely true. I don't understand how that happens. Yeah, um, there's sort of two elements to why you get criticised, not you, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. women get criticised. So the, there is just that we've got to try and control this shift that we perceive in a power balance where this woman is being listened to, she has a platform, whether it's Instagram, whether it's politics, whatever it is. And so we have got to have some way of trying to control this. Mm. Um, and they'll try all the techniques of normal power and control, which exist. Anyone who has ever worked with a victim of violence and abuse will, will know that it doesn't just one day turn up and bash you about. That there is a long lead in and, and one of the first things that has to happen is that you have to, um, like negging somebody, you have to make them doubt yeah. saying it in the first place, change their behaviour through doubt. So to even just sort of some people quite politely will point out things that I'm doing wrong. So mm. you shouldn't swear so much is a good example. Um, and sometimes it's said with good intention, but it is, it is basically a tiny little pushback against the power structure changing. Yeah. Power is the most resilient force in the world. Mm. It will fight to stay where it is and exist where it is. If somebody has power and they can feel it shifting slightly to somebody else, they will fight. Mm. Um, and so first of all, you have to be really negative about people and just make sort of sly comments about them. When that doesn't work, the next technique is to isolate. You have to isolate that person and you have to make it feel like they're on their own. Um, and so they'll start attacking the people who talk to you mm. and uh, online. They'll start criticising you and getting at that. And then when all else fails, like with domestic abuse or sexual violence, they have to act and they have to threaten. Mm. It goes from the sort of soft threats to I'm going to control you, I'm going to threaten you with violence yeah. and abuse. Um but the other side of that, so that is the sort of classic, the stuff that I suffer, the rape threats. The, it goes through many iterations where they try and stop people talking to me. They start tell me I don't look nice, I'm awful, that I'm stupid, that my accent's stupid, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll get all that negging that will make me think, can I be bothered to say anything mm. today? Because can I be bothered with being told on a day where, you know, I definitely have overindulged that my arse is fat? And and you think, oh, can I be bothered? And they won then. Um, but... The other side of it, which I think we are struggling with in an internet age, is that people who talk from any sort of specific expert perspective, so whether that's feminist perspective or talking from the point of view of people of colour um, or disabled people, is that we then expect those people to be absolutely perfect. Yes. And as soon as there's even... 
you know, in a sort of woke generation, yeah. as soon as there's even a slight infraction mm. where it, the infraction doesn't even need to be direct. It's just that you haven't yet commented on something bad that's happened that you mm. might not even know about. And it's like, well, why aren't you here for this person? It's like, what? I didn't even know about that. Yeah. Oh, your feminism is selective. Um, and it's just sort of like that. The, I, I, I worry dearly that that is part of the same level of control that it is expecting total perfection but i think what it does is it acts to create um a space where because it's so polarizing you literally have to be it's like with veganism you're either a perfect vegan or you might as well not fucking bother yeah. what it does it just keeps the status quo doesn't it exactly so the apathetic and wants it to say the same they go oh you're trying really hard well you're not trying hard enough and they're actually not yeah. the people who call me out will be like random people that don't even know what feminism means yeah. to the point where i've even thought maybe i won't call myself a feminist i'll say i believe in feminist issues or i believe in feminism. don't let like, them control you it's weird doesn't it but you see it happen I see it happening in everything now this polarisation this like you have to be it's with climate change I think it's one of the biggest problems yeah. is that that whole wind did you last get on a flight it's not good enough yeah. to not use a plastic straw if you still I don't know do whatever I can't even think but do you know what drive I mean drive a car yeah and that it's like but that's not how it works we all collectively and it's this lack of collective and it is that pointing fingers and I really do think it must be the people in the middle who can't be asked, and they just shout loudly and unfortunately it lands because we're so scared of there's such a culture of making the wrong mistake and yet people can literally make rape threats to you and get away with it and nothing happens nothing happens and they're allowed to stand on political platforms how um the system is ultimately a farce and actually the people who do the rape threats and that sort of thing they lean into the farce of it because we we have all sort of joined in in this you were either perfect or you mm. end up in the bin and so we have sort of created this platform um where it's quite so most decent british people think that what the UKIP candidate has said about me saying I wouldn't even rape her and then saying oh I would rape her if forced most people are like horrified mm. decent british people are like well, this can't be right that's just totally unacceptable but then there will be some people and his response will be well it's only a joke and there will be some people saying oh you know these days you can't joke about anything and in reality the truth sits somewhere in the middle because yeah. people do feel like they can't be in any way fallible yeah, yeah, yeah. so this whole system it needs humanity yeah, putting back totally. into it, nuance, humanity, and a lack of absolutes because it is absolutely not okay for somebody to make rape threats and still be on a political well, platform. Especially not when you're trying to put through legislation that's helping with survivors and changing the way we talk about consent when that has been like the number one issue that I've, but prior to, if we didn't have freaking Brexit, yeah. I'd hope that that's what we'd be talking about. Yeah, exactly. And yet someone with the power is able to joke, it's not a joke. Yeah. That's not, it's like the freedom of speech argument. It's like you have freedom of speech to a certain point. Yeah. But not on issues but which freedom are... of speech has to be about everybody having yeah. freedom of speech. It's not about you getting to say whatever you want so that I'm silent. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's that's not such got a freedom point. of speech then, is there? So if freedom of speech is just for people who look like you, your freedom is bankrupt. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Um, but yeah, that I mean, that is entirely, it's sort of got so ridiculous. And I'm not saying, you know, I want us to be able to make mildly sexist jokes. I, I, I don't want us to be able to make mildly sexist jokes. But the, the argument against like the Me Too movement is like, oh, you only touch your knee. And that that is being put in the same category yes. as rape. Yeah. And but the thing is, it's not us putting it in the same category. It's not feminist activists no. who are trying to change things putting it in the same category. It's the people who wish we'd stop trying to They're change diminishing things. diminishing it. They put it in the same yeah. category so that they can throw it back at us. And 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 I just long for a time, actually. What I, I wanted to do whilst I had uh, any sort of platform in politics was to make people believe that politics was about them and that it could be human again. Mm. But we also all have to sign up to the fact that humans are not perfect yeah. and we need to have a reasonable, nuanced debate about most things. There is nuance about most things. Yeah. There isn't nuance about rape threats. There's no nuance in that space. No. And like I said, most of the British people, public know that. There is nuance with people who might want to put themselves forward who have said off-colour things on the yeah. internet when they were teenagers and or had criminal convictions. When they, you know, that... There is yeah. there is a conversation to be to be had there. Totally. Ricky Gervais said something really good on James O'Brien's podcast. He said the problem with cancel culture and stuff is if someone does something wrong and you say that's it, what you're saying is you might as well carry on making mistakes because yeah. no one's going to forgive you. Yeah, exactly. So you either do it perfectly from the get-go or the minute you do yeah. something wrong, everyone's going to silence you. And I do agree that is wrong. And I think we're all part of this like problematic conversation. I do think it's something's going to change, but I just can't believe that... It's 2019 and someone's literally making rape jokes. That's all me no. even making them how shit is a humour. Like, oh, no. can you get something better to I mean, joke what, about? What bothers me almost, I mean, it has it has been traumatic and harrowing, actually. I shan't diminish it. But also, it is just not funny. No. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a shit. It's not a joke. No. I don't know what the punchline is. Well, the punchline is me. And, and by that, I mean literally in terms of it is to punch me. Take and, away, yeah. And to, yeah, to to hurt me. And it does, it works. So, and it's awful when you think the the message it sends is that if you, as a woman, step forward, this mm. is going to happen. But actually what I would, the message I would send is actually what would be awful is if you didn't step forward because of this. Yeah. Because, you know, they will keep on stepping forward. Exactly. Do you want them to run the world? No. It only think, changes if you step forward. Yeah, I think that's what it shows, that we need more voices and more, because if there was an army of you, not literally, but <laughs> it would be, it would be there would be less space for them to try and make these cheap, really ignorant threats yeah. that just are... Actors. It's annoying because I agree with you. Like I, I think I heard you say something the other day, where, or maybe I read it, and you were like, I, I need to stop acting like it's fine. It's not fine. It's not yeah. fine. No one would think that's and fine. And I definitely fell into that trap when it all first started years ago yeah. of, of putting a brave face on it because I I feel, um, as, as a woman in public life, I have a service to provide, to say. And I do all sorts of things that I, are not in my comfort zone to try and encourage other women to feel brave mm. and it takes real bravery to do it but you've just said I'm a woman and you're more worried about your reaction to an action of a man who's in service to the public do you see how ironic that yeah, is yeah I mean it but is. you're more worried about how you're going to react to someone making those threats to you than he was actually making those threats and that's yeah. the that's the perfect example of power and privilege isn't it, it you is. might have power but you haven't got the privilege over him no absolutely also I think I like to think that just is as well just a sign that I'm a decent human oh really. totally yeah which is also really helpful <laughs> Raised properly. Yeah. That's how I'm going to dis describe Yeah, no, empathy that. is something we should all strive for, I think, yeah. and look for in our politicians, but unfortunately, it's not always there. <laughs>
Um, so going forward at the minute, what are you, apart from dealing with that, what's on your manifest, or what are you kind of fighting for at the minute? I mean, always the um, issue around equalising uh, rights. Mm. Um, and that that isn't just necessarily a women's rights thing. So uh, there's something that I would really seek to try and change, and that is the laws around parental rights in this mm. country. Um, and I think that men should be entitled to the exact same paternity as women are entitled to maternity because I want to see yeah. a shift in culture about whose role is whose and I think that we can only do that by equalising men's rights in, in lots of areas. Um, at the moment and this morning uh, I was on the television um, with Lou Haig, another brilliant female politician, um, talking about how we need to modernise the family courts mm. and stop domestic abusers being able to just use those courts to continue abuse and that is a piece of work that we've been working on for years and years um but I mean at, at the moment I suppose my absolute key role in, in politics at the moment it isn't about policy it is about emotion mm. and I think we are seeing the rise of fascism in our country and across the world yeah and so my role is to be brave at yeah. the moment and to try and reach the public with a message that isn't about hate <laughs> that yeah. is about hope um, and about them not about us yeah and so really at the moment my whole political strategy for the next years I suppose I was about to say next year but I think we're in for the long haul is to try and make people believe in democracy yeah. and not throw the baby out with the bathwater with all the division that we've we're having because there's only one set of people who will benefit from a breakdown in democracy in our country and that is the established order yeah it doesn't when people opt out and think that this place is not for them or that politics is not for them, that doesn't hurt the people in this building in Parliament. No. That hurts the people outside and gives power, ultimate power, without any checks and balances to the people in this building. And yeah. that cannot be allowed to happen. And if making gags and going on mainstream TV programmes and talking passionately and becoming a meme, if that makes people believe in it, and protects our democracy even slightly, then it has got to be worth it. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it all comes down to that thing of just recognising we have power to educate. There's something I'm realising more and more is that we can. there's ways you can educate without being an educator and there's ways that you can spread stories. Yeah. And also with those guys who are making those jokes, sometimes I am a bit too like, you know when you're so fed up with anti-feminist rhetoric that you're like, oh, can't believe they've done this. But actually some men, guys might be walking around like, but why is that so bad? Yeah. And sometimes I think we've got to remember we've all been conditioned, women and men, in the same way. Yeah. And sometimes we've got to be more open to talking to the, the men in our lives because I yeah. can sometimes be guilty of being like, I just don't have the emotional energy to... to yeah, why is it my teach job you, yeah, to educate Google you? And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll go, as my husband always says to me, I'll Google that for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Great. Uh, let me Google that for you. <laughs> Look it up yourself. Um, but because um, I'm like that. Oh, what's this person? He's just like, "Look yourself." <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, that, that there is an element to all of this about not being a bystander to yeah. things, and people 
getting people to speak up and people to feel, give, be given permission to educate people. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, they just think, well, it's not my place. Oh, God, I don't want to cause a fuss. But actually, then it leaves it on the shoulders of everybody, yeah. of, of the people who are always saying it. And they're easy to ignore because mm. people look at me and roll their eyes and go, oh, she would say that. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I need to expand exactly. this readership. I need to ex- take this message somewhere else because it's it's reached the optimum amount of people it can reach so far. You've got to expand it. You've got to keep on pushing. But you are having so much impact. I really mean that. And I really, I actually am really grateful for you and your voice. And I think just even just every little tweet that you put out, all the funny things that you say, do trickle down and it does have an impact. And it makes people want to listen and, and hopefully stand up and make a difference. I do feel, you know, I, I, I mean, that's very kind of you to say, but I, I do feel that it works. And I don't know why more don't do it, actually. Yeah. Um, because I have genuine cut through to the general public. Um, and I mean, by no means am I like massively famous or anything. Um, but I, I do feel like just being brave is really inspirational for people to see. Yeah. And they, you know, I mean, if you look around, people write letters to me all day, every day, send me flowers and, you know, constantly every day pictures of their kids saying, oh, you know, we just watched your video and it, mm. it, you know, it means so much to my sons and daughters and keep on fighting and all that sort of... And it's from old, young, all over the world. And that that... I mean, it's incredibly flattering. And my yeah. husband constantly says, what you need to do is write a book called Take Yourself Down a Pegatus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've always got my husband to meter out anything, <laughs> all the hearts and flowers in the world, and he'll just be like, I think you're a bit of a knob. That's so good. <laughs> I also actually want to say I love, I've listened to you talk, I think I've listened to everything, but I listen to you talk about your husband and your family, and it's really lovely. Like, you've been together forever, haven't you? Oh, with forever, your... yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've known him since I was 12. Oh, my God, He's I love that. He's been my friend since I was 12, and he was my best friend since I was, like, sort of 19. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, we got together when I was about 20, when I was 21. And... Oh, but I just love, I don't know any other politician that I'm quite emotionally invested in their relationship, which is really nice. Just, that's, I, I, I absolutely love my husband to hear you say that because he is literally like stop writing about me on Twitter <laughs> he is absolutely like he's just like he, he, he will tolerate anyone else putting a photo of him up on Instagram or Facebook but, but if you... I do it he's just like somebody just said to me down the street oh I really like your trainers man and he was like what are these and he was like no the ones you were wearing oh, on that photo stop. and he's like that I do not want people telling me they like my trainers <laughs> uh, yeah my husband is brilliant and sort of uh, very, very kind and gentle and empathetic, but also utterly curmudgeonly. Um, he, That's an amazing. He is, he is. He is so. He is. He, I mean, he's basically like a young. Uh, what was that one foot in the grave man called? Uh, Victor Meldrew. He's like that, but he's young and knows trendy words, <laughs> uh, and he definitely knows much more trendy things than me. But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I like to. People told me not to include my family and to talk about my family in politics because um, they become fair game to journalists and certainly your kids. I think that actually that advice, there's been quite a lot in press regulation that has occurred in the meantime where uh, people would be kinder to uh, my children. But 
Um, I, I just cannot be who I am and be honest and open without talking about my family because yeah. they are like in every inch of my skin, both my um, my siblings, my mum and dads, my grandparents, but also my husband and his family and my kids and my friends. Mm. Like, I was about uh, to say that as well. <laughs> Fundamentally, what, what we all want, I think we all try to a really nice community around us and a happy life. And so it's really nice to be able to see a politician who has those facets because you think, well, I can probably trust their judgment that it's going to be good for the family and the yeah. friendships I have. Do you know what I mean? A lot of the time politicians seem so empty and cold and their lives are just... Papers and numbers and things, and you think pointing at potholes. I don't really know if you've got what I'm looking for here. I don't know if your world that you would design would be one that I'd fit into. Whereas you did a post with like your friends and family that is, I sound like such a stalker. <laughs> I was like, that's so nice to see because that's what's important and that's what what's yeah. valuable at the end of the day. And also, I really try and book that idea that I'm not allowed to have a life. So as soon as you post anything, like I posted a picture, yeah, of my mates. It was her 40th birthday, and we were all around her house having dinner. Like people are like, oh, she's got quite a nice kitchen. Like my friends are allowed to have nice kitchens, and I mean we weren't even in her kitchen. I wanted to point out, and but then immediately I sort of you go on the defensive. I'm like, well, yeah, she's got a nice house. She's a midwife. Like you know, you think that like, and and then I'm like, no, don't do that. I'm allowed to have nice things. Why? What are we meant to wear like sackcloth and ashes? It's people's projections. I've learned so much about projection. They've put their insecurities onto you and get annoyed. You just got to not. Like I've got loads of really brilliant mates who are excellent, and some of them live in nice houses. Some of them live. I mean, they're all living. You know, I'm not going to slag off my friends' houses here on this podcast. <laughs> some I'd pick to live in. Some I wouldn't. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I have a nice life, and after, and also the expectation that I'm meant to be at work all the time. Yeah. That, like, on a Saturday evening, uh, I'll go out to, with my mates and we'll post pictures of ourselves having a dance on Instagram. People actually like that, but the instant way to try and push back at that is like, well, why aren't you at work? I'm like, because it's Saturday fucking yeah. night. <laughs> also, if you're at work all the time, you're normally very good at your job. I used to be exhausted. So, uh, and I, you know, I also, uh, with my friends, I have a very specific... Um, relationship that I would not be able to survive without. There is a sisterhood element to it that I think is important Mm. to tell because I get really annoyed with the idea that the networks in... the the power networks that exist in the world never include women Mm. and we never tell the story of... and we diminish what women do for each other in their lives all the time... Um, and I, I just really want to tell the story of how I would not be able to live my life. I wouldn't be yeah. able to get up and get to work in the morning if it wasn't for my mates in my WhatsApp group basically taking the piss out of me and being like, you're not that... I'm allowed five fancy mentions Oh, Five <laughs> fancy mentions a week, and then my friend Jess will literally come round to my house That's and slap so me. so good. <laughs> I love... I do that's so important because the only stories you hear of women, it's getting better because women are writing stories now, but it's just so-and-so's in an argument with someone yeah. or that has... This is the wife of, even though the husband doesn't do anything. So, yeah, I think it is really important to push that rhetoric yeah. and, and show and my that... mates are all much more successful than their husbands. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of my friends are. Well, we're not married, but then the boyfriends they have currently, they could get rid of them. <laughs> it's never too late. Anything else you specifically want to say? Not particularly. Also, you look great because you were saying that I can't remember at one point I was going to try to answer, but I'm talking. But you're like, my people are reaching. I think you look amazing. 
That's a great outfit. Thanks. <laughs> I've been on the telly, so uh, okay, I have fine. telly makeup. For you don't need to say that though. I've got to learn. You've got to stop doing that when people give you a compliment. You know, and they're like, I like your top. And like, sale. Yeah. Five years old. Still yeah. Mine. I know. You can't just be like that. Even if it costs you, like, you, yeah, you're wearing it for the first time. Yeah. And it costs you three hundred pounds. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I've literally never owned a top that costs three hundred pounds. But if it did, One you'd day. be like that. One pound fifty down the charity <laughs> shop. Why do you do that? I don't know. I've tried to learn to take a compliment. Mm. I got a standing ovation recently. Um, a thing I was doing a speech, and I, I literally physically recoiled on the stage, to, to, like like, oh, I, no. like I was almost in the fetal position. I was like that with my hands <laughs> on my face, like I couldn't look. And a woman on the platform was like, "What is wrong with you? <laughs> just, just, just take praise, it. Yeah. Just take the praise." Um, uh, but I, I have, I have rope learned. This is another thing I've learned from my husband, who's had to rope learn some more appropriate responses to some things. Um, I have rope learned to just be like, "Thank you, that's very kind of you." So yeah, I did it really to you good. earlier. I started to just say something, and then I went, "Thank you, that is very kind of you to say that." But it is hard. We it's have got to condition I think ourselves. as women, you think that if you say thank you, you're being cocky. <laughs> Yeah, like... It's like, you're pretty no. You'll get above yourself, <laughs> Yeah, you exactly. I think that is what it is. We can't just say thank you because we have to feel like we're kind of reversing it in case yeah. we come off as too... And also, I do definitely come from a culture where the, the real love is basically telling you that you ha- are basically just like... A piece of a shit. A total piece of shit. Like with so me good. and my friend Jess, she once posted a picture of her kissing her husband in uh, like the, I think their kids had made a den and they sat in the den and kissed each other. And literally every single response was just like den wanker. <laughs> and we have since like made photoshops of this one particular photo. Oh She's a really touching picture of her and her husband. And I mean, she's never going to live it down. That and she once said straws. And now we treat her like she's... <laughs> Literally the aristocracy. When to the actual fruit rather than the, the, fruit. the, the, the sweet. The, not the Harrow sweet. Yeah, no. no. I have a friend who says bloobs, which I think <laughs> is even worse. Bloobs. Bloobs. That, that is literally, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I that, am subject to some horrendous things that bloobs. <laughs> <laughs> she said bloobs. I mean, straws. It was about nine years ago she said it. And, uh, and literally, with I mean, we basically, we treat her like she's the aristocracy. When we're talking about anything, we're like, well, you wouldn't understand in your ivory tower, straws. <laughs> Do you know what actually was making me laugh, reminding me earlier when I was looking at your Twitter, what's your Twitter bio at the minute? What did someone call oh, you? Yeah, it was uh, George Galloway said that, it was, I can't even remember what it was, it was basically like, I was like, I know insignificant awful woman or something that, like that's that that's what I think stuff like that is actually that's really powerful because it's so funny it's like just always say thank you for things never apologise and just decide to take everything as a compliment yeah, even when someone's replied thank you so much <laughs> I'm an arsehole yeah, love it total arsehole check me out <laughs> uh, so yeah so, but Jess takes straws uh, she's taking it on the chin now that is good I'll do, enjoy that yeah take lubes back to group so I think that yeah I've got to learn because my the way of genuine affection in my life is to basically be totally rude <laughs> so I, I've got to learn because not everybody's like that and sometimes when people pay me a compliment I've got you've got to learn to accept it yeah that's great advice I think <laughs> um if everyone wants to come and find you not literally in my life <laughs> quite stressful um but online or is there anything that you're talking about or anything you're doing that they can come and 
Uh, more of your wise, um, sparry words. Oh, well, I'm writing a uh, another book at the moment. She says stressed because she's not finished it. Um, and I will almost certainly be going around uh, doing book festivals and things. Uh, but there's, I mean, there's always, I'm always out there for people to be able to come and talk to me, yeah. actually. Um, but not anything that I can think of off the top of my head that I'm doing in the immediate I mean, I'm, I'm writing a book. Would you have That's the title? That's what I'm basically... Oh, it's called uh, Speaking... Well, it's Truth to Power is the title. Oh, nice. Um, but it's sort of a guide of how to call time on BS is essentially the tagline. I love that. Do you know what? There was someone on... Do you ever listen to How to Fail? Yes, I'm going on it. Are fact. you? Yeah. Oh, my God, amazing. Amazing. Who else? Who, someone was on there and she is... Oh, I'm going to get this really wrong. I think she's a journalist. She's someone really important. But she has a saying like that that's like... Find the truth in, oh, I don't know. I think it was yesterday's episode, but it was something like that and it was really interesting. Like, yeah, so I want to I wanna encourage people to speak truth to power, yeah. always, always, and to, to think that they have some power. And just recognise your voice. I think that's what you've done is is show people that you can, you, you will get listened to if you're saying, like like you say, if you're talking from the heart, like truthfully, that's if really cringe. If you believe, no, but if you believe what you're saying, don't talk about stuff you don't care about. Yeah. That is, politicians, definitely, we all fall into that trap where, you know, I'm meant to be like a world-leading expert on yeah. every sort of sort yeah. of cancer. I'm like... <laughs> I mean, I know quite a lot about the one my mum died of, but otherwise, I'm I, I, I'm out. Yeah. Um, and and people see through it. Voters yeah. and the public are quite shrewd. Um, so I tend to talk about the things I know and care about and have experience of because of my friends, family and constituents. Yeah. Uh, and if you talk... There's no greater expert on the life that you lead than you. But people don't... Like mothers, when they have a newborn baby, believe everybody else is an expert. There's literally nobody more expert in your baby than you. So probably stop listening to all that other rubbish advice. So true. That's great advice. We just won't listen to it then. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. I've literally loved this. No worries. I've sweated quite a lot, I feel, but we'll be fine. (laughs) Also, when I came to actually because they have to search, you don't know, and I did apologise to the women for being sweaty as well. I need to stop apologising and she was like, Don't worry, that's what the gloves are for. And it really <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> um, thank you so much everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.